Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building better, a better life. I am Zenashe. I am your coach, your conduit, and your catalyst to that better life. A coach draws out hidden potential in a subject. A catalyst provides change, and a conduit provides a connection. So it's been a long time since I've done a podcast. You know, we've been doing live shows, even working on the audio book. I've been doing author events. So I'm really excited to be back with you guys. And I have with me Tiffany Beard. Say hi to the people. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Tiffany Beard. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. We're going to be talking about investment. You know, um, a lot of people think about investment only in terms of money. And that is a type of investment, but I think the most valuable investment is when we invest in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where we actually take our lives from mediocre and sometimes very unfulfilling to really fulfilling and even extraordinary or even beyond what we expected of ourselves. So um, I'm excited to talk with Tiffany and for us to both kind of share our stories on where we were at a certain point when we weren't investing in ourselves and then what kind of made us shift our mindset to decide to invest in ourselves. So I kind of wanted to start with you. Like, you know, what, if somebody were to describe you when you were younger, what would they say about you? What would their description of you be? Younger, that was a long, long time ago. So um, I don't, I don't know. That's actually a good question. Because I was really kind of quiet when I was young. So I don't even think anybody really remembers that that far back, you know. Um, so I can't say what how they would how they would describe me back then, to be honest with you. That's a good question. I'm gonna have to find out some answers to that one. Okay. <laughs> I was pretty quiet too when I was younger. Um, and I, I didn't have a whole lot of goals. I was that kid that was just trying to please her parents and just trying to, you know, fit in. And, um, I was a good girl, you know? And so I wasn't really invested in myself. I was just taught, Hey, I'm gonna, you need to go to school, you need to get a job. You need to get married. You need to have kids. You're going to be happy if you do, the, do those things. If you do those things, life is just going to be simple and, and everything's going to work out. So that was kind of my plan of action and the idea of investing in myself or even thinking about what I wanted had not even occurred to me. So like when you were a teenager, like what did you see in your life? Like where did you see yourself headed? I really didn't to be honest with you because like, okay, right now I'm six feet tall. So I've been six feet tall since I was 12. So I never fit really fit in with anybody because I was like awkward. I was awkward. I'm taller than everybody. So it was kind of like awkward. So I really didn't see myself in a whole lot of places. Um, I did want to go to school. I did want to go to college. I did want to have a major in law and a minor in psychology. But um, those things did not work out. You know, um, I did a lot of stuff to fit in. When now in my later years, I know God didn't even create me to fit in. He created me to stand out. That's a wonderful quotable. <laughs> you know, we weren't created to fit in. We were created to stand out. And it's so crazy how so many of us are pushed to fit in and to to conform when really we're supposed to be, in a sense, finding our purpose and fulfilling our purpose. And that requires us to to tap into our uniqueness our unique thoughts, our unique talents, our unique skills. And, and a lot of us don't do that. So when you were trying to fit in, was that a good thing or did it kind of lead you into a wrong path? It, it was a very bad thing because I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to be liked. I'm trying to be accepted. And so, you know, I did a lot of things that to, to, to want people to like me, to want people to be around me. So, you know, I did, I did criminal addictive, I had criminal addictive behavior because those were the people, it was like, that was the crowd that accepted me for who I was, you know, um, maybe my gullibility at the time started it, you know, but as I went on, of course I ended that trying to fit in, let me in prison five different times. Hmm. trying to fit in trying to be like trying to be like the joneses or just trying to be accepted 
because I was viewed so long as being different, not knowing then that different is not, there's nothing wrong with being different. That's a, a powerful thing, too, because a lot of people, they think something's wrong with being different. You know, we use a lot of words for being different. Like we call people odd and strange and weird and, you know, you know, off the wall, outlandish. But it's only a few like unique that are positive. It's like a whole lot of negative words for being different and like I, only one that came to my head for being, you know, a positive one for being different. So it's like we make, we stigmatize people that are different, but generally the people that are different are the ones that are actually invested in themselves. The ones that have thought about what they want, how they want to live, what their goals or talents are, and they're actually using them. And because they're doing that, they end up being the outlier. You know, they end up being outside of the crowd and outside of the the norm. But a lot of times that's where they become very successful. Yes. So when was like a turning point for you when you were like, OK, I have followed this particular path of trying to fit in and I don't like the results and I want to do something different. That would basically be. um the last time I was in prison in the, in the, in the, in the prison cell and I woke up and I, I looked, looked at the wall and that didn't make me happy. Cause I'm seeing bricks and I looked at the window and I'm seeing barbed wire on the window and you know, I can't get out the door unless somebody come open the door. I just woke up in a really bad mood, so to speak. And, um, I, it was just later on in that day in that cell that I really got on my knees and said to God, like, you got to have something more in store for me than this. This can't be my life going in and out of prison, doing the same thing, expecting different results, which is insanity. And, you know, like it got to be something. And if 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 that's the case, you want me to stay in prison, just go ahead and give me a life sentence right now. I don't want to keep going in and out, in and out, in and out. So it has to you have to have something more for me. You know, for me, religion was a part that played on helping me decide it's time for me to invest in myself. Because, you know, in my world, Bible says, God said his voice, his word cannot come back void. It sets out and do exactly what it's supposed to do. So he says in James, faith without works is dead. So I said to him in that cell, I'm going to get out. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to do the work. But I'm going to need you to open up some doors because I'm going to need a whole lot of help. I'm a five time felon. Been to prison five times, got a federal case. Like, you're going to have to do some, you're going to have to make the miracles pop, you know. And that's when I got out. I invested it. I started investing in myself. I did things that I said I would never do, which was I worked a minimum wage job at 39 years old. But that was the part of me where let me work on myself and stop doing stuff the easy way. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. So I want I want to go back to some things. You know, many people in the audience may be thinking, well, I haven't been to prison or I haven't been to jail. You know, does this relate to me? And, and I think your story relates to everybody, because I think if you come to a point where you look around you and you say, wait a minute, I don't like what I see. Right. I feel like I'm in a cell because I've never been to prison or jail, but I have definitely felt like I was in a cell. You know, I was in an abusive marriage, you know, the first time, five years, almost six years. The second time I was in an emotionally abusive marriage. And both those times I felt like I was in a cell and I was like, I have to be able to have more in my life than this. This cannot be like that same sentence you're saying is like, I, I can't, this cannot be my life. And it kind of reminds me of a thing I saw Lisa Nichols say that she was searching in the cushions mm. of her couch for money to get milk for her baby. And she just kind of came to herself and was like, this cannot be my life. life. Yes. She was eating beanies and weenies like six days a week. That was what she was eating. And she was like, this can't be my life. I, I have to have something better than this. And, and, you know, she decided she was going to change her life, you know? So I think that there's a lot of people that 
they look around themselves and they're like, I can do better. I, you know, I, I know I can do better than this. And I know that I'm going to have to change. But the thing is, we know that negative space it's not where we want to be, but it is a place that we know. And a lot of times people have to step out of that and kind of step out of their comfort zone. Like you said, you had to go work a minimum wage job. You know, when I left my husband the first time, I left with three garbage bags. I'm a college educated woman with two boys. My kids were five years old and I left my house with three garbage bags had a friend come pick me up in her pickup truck. We tossed the three garbage bags in the back. She gave me $80. I went and got a, I went and got some pots and pans and an air mattress. And that's what we were three, me and my two kids sleeping on an air mattress. We got like, I got literally like maybe one cup, one fork, you know, one spoon, one knife, the pots and pans, you know, little, that's all, whatever I could get with that $80. That's where I started. You know what I'm saying? So talking about, investing in yourself saying okay i invested in getting into a support group mm -hmm. getting into therapy because i knew that being in that situation my mind was not right my my heart was not right i knew there was damage so i knew i had to invest in getting my mind and heart healed and that was like my first step forward to being a better person being a healthier person making better decisions you know, was trying to work on that. Your first step was humbling yourself and getting that minimum wage job. And, and while you were doing that minimum wage job, what was like your, what were you looking forward to, to, to the next step to be? I, I didn't know. Mm. I just knew that that was going to, that had to be the first step because mm. I hadn't, I never worked. You know, mm -hmm. if I did work, I worked, I got a job to make it look good for parole office. Then I stopped or something for, you know, because after a few days, it's like I can make more money hustling than I can doing this. So I, I stopped. So working was something new. You know, it was new. It was humbling. And then I'm like, OK, what am I going to do? I'm 39. I work in this minimum wage job. I have a high school diploma. That's it. What's going what's going to happen? So I was like, well, maybe I should go to school, rolling school. And I was like, I was kind of afraid to enroll in school because I had always been told I was dumb and stupid, you know. Um, so I was thinking like, I, ain't, I might not can't do school because I'm dumb and I'm stupid. And um, but I went ahead and enrolled. And what I found out was I wasn't dumb or stupid. Mm. I just had never I didn't apply myself. You know, because of the negative stigmas and different things that was being said as I was going growing up and whatnot. So um, I didn't apply. My, I never applied myself. But now I had to apply myself. Now mm -hmm. I'm in a room, 39 years old with children that were 18, 19 years old. I'm old enough to be their mother. Mm -hmm. And I'm in this college room, you know, trying to get this AA degree. Mm -hmm. So it was a whole lot of humbling. And I, at that point, I still didn't know what I wanted to do or what I even needed to do because I had been in the streets hustling for so long. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know how to really live life as far as um, how society wanted me to live life, if that makes sense. So I'm just, just trying to figure it out. But I know that I didn't want to go back to prison. I knew that. And sometimes that's all you need to know is like, I don't know the next step, but I know what I can do right now today. And I know where I don't want to go back to because I felt the same way. It's like, I want, I'm in this apartment. I got these three grocery bags. I want to fill this apartment up with stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I want to furnish it as my first goal. I want to make sure my kids are in a good school, you know, I want to make sure I'm paying the bills. I'm keeping things together. But then after a while, I was like, this is not really a good apartment to be living in. I want to, I want to get a house, but then I'm thinking, I don't know any single women with a house. Everybody in my family was married and, and there was a big stigma about getting divorced, you know, which was one of the reasons why I stayed for so long because I didn't want to be one of my grandmother used to call it one of those women, 
You don't want to be one of those women, you know, those women in the club, those women that can't keep their husbands at home, those women whose kids are always throwing tantrums in the, in the store, those women that get divorced, those single mother women. And it was very, you know, like I grew up with a lot of judgmentalism, like you need to keep your marriage at any cost because otherwise you're going to be one of those women. I actually wrote an essay about that, that I, I became one of those women. But I realized that I had become one of those women that became victorious. Yes. Those women that stepped out of all of these restrictions and all these stigmas. Out of that and cell. Out of, the, out of that cell. And I made a better future for myself. So I was hearing all these negative messages about those women, but those women were the ones that were changing things. Those women were the ones that were saying, this marriage isn't good enough. You know, my husband that's cheating on me, that right. ain't good enough. My husband that's cursing me out, breaking stuff in the house, that ain't good enough. That my husband that's putting his hands on me is not good enough. You know, regardless of whatever stigmas I may have to face, I'm going to invest in myself. And I'm going to say, I'm, I deserve better than this. And if I have to start at the bottom, I'm going to start at the bottom and I'm going to work my way up. Because I'm invested every day that I every day that I put effort towards my dreams, towards a better future is an investment. So when I started this off, I was saying investments isn't just money. Now we both had to invest. It was money paying the bills. It was money going to that college. But it started with here, our mindset saying, I deserve better. better. Yes. And I can have better. And I gotta work for it. It's not gonna be given to me. I have to make different choices. I have to change my habits. I may have to change the people that I hang around because everybody that I used to hang around might be, they might not be supportive. They might not understand my vision, you know? And that's the sad reality that I, there's a lot of people that did not, you know, understand anything, you know, um, well, let's go do this. No, I don't do those things no more. Why not? Because I don't, you know. Well, I don't have. I don't want to be bothered with you. That's fine because I'm not doing anything that's going to get me back in a prison cell. You know, so um, I think the point that I really started to realize that I deserve more was when I graduated with that AA degree, and I was so proud of myself. You know that my both my children was there to root me on. Had family there to root me on. Um, and then that's when I said, you know what, it's, it's the world is an oyster. I can have it. I'm like Burger King now. I'm about to have it my way. So, I, you know, I went. I was even sitting here now. It's just like I still be like, it's so surreal because I received that AA degree. Then I received that bachelor's degree. Then I received that master's degree. And then when it popped up in my head and it was like, you know, we're well, going here and be a doctor. I was like, I don't know if I could do that. But guess what? I did. So um, actually, it'll be a, a year on the 15th that I became Dr. Beard. And, you know, when I tell people that they don't, they're happy about the Dr. Beard part. But when I tell them I went to prison first to get to be Dr. Beard, they're like, wow, I can't believe that. I know nobody that's, that's done that. And I'm like, well, now you have, but it's a lot of people that's out there that has overcame being, going to prison. But I think a lot of people is embarrassed about what society is going to think about them. Mm. Um, but I don't care because that way I know that I can help somebody else that's coming through, you know, and investing in yourself is important. I have to realize that if I don't invest in me, nobody else is going to invest in me. And a lot of people that we really think are our friends really are really are not our friends. And when you invest in yourself, you're going to lose people. That's you're going to lose people. You know, um, I've lost people. I've lost, I had people, guys I even dated that would, oh, come on, let's go hang out. I'm doing homework. Oh, leave that homework alone. Leave that alone. I just think back all them times if I'd have left the homework alone or if I didn't attend class, would I be Dr. Beard right now? Mm -hmm. No, I wouldn't. I had to, be, you know, say no. 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 Yeah. You, you, you said a lot right there because <laughs> I remember I, when I was in college, I was uh, engaged to be married and um, I actually was engaged to a bass player and 
we were going to church together. So it's good Christian couple being absent and doing all the things right. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. all of that. And he decides to drop out of school. And I was like, oh, why are you doing that? Well, I really feel like, you know, I'm supposed to be using my talents and skills and abilities. I'm supposed to be playing bass. I'm supposed to be on stages and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all my time and energy in it that I was like, okay, well, okay. If you decide to do that, I don't really think that's probably the best thing to do. You could do both, get your degree and play the music, you know? Right. Nah, that to me, that's not having faith in myself. And I'm a, and then he got very upset with me because I didn't want to drop out with him. And basically told the whole church I didn't believe in him and I wasn't supportive. I wasn't a good woman and all that. I mean, turned the whole church against me. I was like, all I said was I ain't dropping out with you. That was it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got people that don't even want to talk to me at church. It was time to find another church. Was, it was. It was time to find another church. <laughs> it was time to find I, another church. Because I was church. like, I can't believe this. I can't believe I'm, I'm trying to go to school. And I had done so much in that church. It was so crazy. I had, I was, I had, this was a church where I actually went to seminary at this church. Had written plays for them, sang in the choir, was in the youth group, taught children's church. And they, they somebody said something about me and then everybody's against me. I'm like, how does that work? Anyway, I was like, yeah, okay, it's time for me to move on. But the point is, I was investing in myself. And he was trying to invest in himself a different way. That was his choice. But, you know, to me, you have to respect other people's decisions. And the fact that I didn't want to drop out with him from, from school with him, you know, that ended our whole relationship. Like, he had no respect for me because he said, and this is, this is another thing. I'm just gonna, I wasn't gonna go on this tangent, but since we're here, I'm gonna go on this. I'm gonna go. Some men had this idea that because you're a woman, you're supposed to listen to them. And your goals and dreams do not matter because their goals and dreams for you are supposed to matter. Because you're supposed to put supporting them as the primary first thing in your life. And that was my first time meeting a man like that and was like, what? You're supposed to be submissive. You're supposed to be submissive. We ain't even married yet. You know, it was crazy. I was like, oh. they get you that know. from the Bible, but they twist it. Yeah. They don't know. A lot of people will say to me and say that I'm the head of the household. You do what I say because this was in the Bible. That's not what that's not what God meant when he put that in mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. That not at all. Right. It does not mean that if you're living by him. Right, right, right. But right. you still have to be able to be, say, be supportive of both because husbands supposed to be submissive to wives as well. So right. when people, you know, now that you said that, we go off in that. When I tell girls when I do groups, and I'm like, no, you have to be, if you want something, then you need to go get it. And if that person that you're with is not allowing you to or don't want you to, then you need to rethink that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Because anybody you wish should be supportive of you. Because if I'm shining, you shine. And we both right, shine. Right, right, right. And then that was kind of, excuse me. <coughs> that was kind of the first time when I felt like the person I was with saw me as competition. Right. And not as a partner. Right. And I really hated that. I was like, what we, we, if I am great and you are great, then we are greater together. together. Yes. You know what I mean? So we, sh you should want me to be everything I can be. So I can bring that to you. I can bring that to our children. I can be, you know, I can be a, a strong support for you rather than keeping me down. So, you know, it's when you invest, sometimes people do not understand. Sometimes they slander you. Sometimes they, you know, a lot of things can happen, you know, but so you got, let me go back to something you said. You said, if you hadn't done that homework, you wouldn't have got to be Dr. Beard. And, you know, I think that's another thing that people don't realize is that investment is in your habits. Mm -hmm. It's in your daily choices. If you're not, 
you can't get to the degree if you don't go to class. Right. You know, you can't get to the title or whatever the certification if you don't put the work in. Like you said, you were willing to do the work. You said faith without works is dead. dead. Yes. You know, so sometimes people... I don't know if they have these pie in the sky ideas, this entitlement. I call it entitlement. Like stuff is just supposed to fall out the sky. And there are sometimes we get blessings and we get grace and doors open for us. And I've had that happen to me. But there was also a saying, and I don't know who said it, that a whole lot of doors open for you when you've been preparing yourself. You know what I mean? Like it's like this one guy said, it seemed like the more I prepared myself, the more doors up of opportunity open for me. And when I wasn't preparing myself, nothing was happening. That makes so it was kind of like preparation meets opportunity, you know? So again, investing in ourselves, you know, what are you doing to invest in your skill set, to invest in your mindset, to invest in your habits, to build more discipline? You know, what are you doing with that? Cause if you don't have those things, you're not going to get to the goals that you want. And I know I can't even, I can't even imagine the hours and hours of, of, of research and the dissertation and the master's thesis and all, oh my gosh, that you had to do to get to being a doctor. And you know, I wanted to quit so many times mm. when I um got to my when I got to my doctor level doctoral level because Really, when they say only, I think it's 2% now, but when they were saying only 1% of the world is, you know, or have PhDs, I could see why. Because um, I wanted to quit so many times because my me and my chair argued, me and the co-chair argued, me and it was it's just, it was, a, it was a lot. And I was like, you know what, I'm not doing this. I'm done. I don't want to be dr beard anymore it was fun when it when it when it lasted but i don't know i just kept on no matter what um it was times when i ran out of money and i didn't know how the next class was going to be paid for because those doctoral classes was like three thousand dollars a class mm. so it was times i took off for a year one time because i didn't have you know money and i was you know blessed um to be able to go back to school and and, and finish and you know but it was a lot of times I wanted to give up and I always like, you know, I came too far. I came too far. I, I've, I've came too, I've come too far to, to give up, but it was a lot of days that I had to do a lot of self-talking and, and praying and crying. And, you know, and then I met this lady um, and she was, I never met her in person. I met her online and she was in one of, one of the classes and she said to me, I was something I reached out, I said to her on one of my posts and she responded and she sent me a message and I'm like, and I called her and we were talking about it. And then I just went into about our chair and she's like, don't make it mad. Just, just call and vent to me. Just call and vent to me. Just call and holler and scream at me. And the thing about that was this lady was ill. Mm. She was, she had, she was fighting she's cancer free now, but she had cancer and I didn't even, I didn't know it. She didn't tell me, um, but she was being supportive of me, um, going like this, this, this chair, I can't stand him. I want another one. I'm like sick of him. Like, I don't want to be the doctor. And she listened to me rant and rave every day and talk me through. And that, you know, that's a special person that's really going through something but still trying to be there, for, you know, for someone else because actually she was pouring into me and I didn't even know it, you know. And um, she's one of the reasons, amongst other things, but she's one of the reasons that kept me sane and kept me going to be able to, you know, finish. You know, you said so much right there because <laughs> one of the reasons I do this podcast is because when there were difficult times in my life, you know, when, when I got divorced the first time, when I got divorced the second time, there were groups that I was able to bond with, support groups. And, you know, I went through a divorce recovery support group. I went through a domestic violence support group with the Houston Area Women's Center. But there were times when physically 
I didn't have the gas. I didn't have, I couldn't get there. And I wished at that time that there would have been something, cause this is way before YouTube, you know, all of this stuff is just, none of this exists back then. And like, I, I got divorced the first time in what, 1999. So this is way before YouTube, way before I knew about it anyway, if it was around, I didn't know I about it. I was on my second marriage by the end. You know, <laughs> so, but the point is one of the reasons why I wanted to put inspirational material out there is because there are times when I think of how low I was sometimes, how I wasn't believing in myself, how I couldn't see, I couldn't see the future. I really couldn't see it. Like I didn't know what my future was going to look like, but just being around other women who were further than me, who were coming to that support group and I could look at them. I couldn't look at myself and see possibility at the time. But I could look at them and say, man, she's got this. She went through this too. And she's over here way further down. Like she's seven years out, eight years out, 10 years out. I'm two months out. (laughs) And and it just gave me so much hope because these were real people. These were not this wasn't no celebrity. This wasn't no doctor in terms of like some psychologist giving me some kind of theory. This was a real person saying, look, I did it. I did it. And I'm still doing it. And it's not easy, but it can be done. Right. You know what I mean? And they made it believable that I could move forward and I didn't have to go back. And that's a whole nother thing. You could have gone back to your lifestyle before. I could have gone back to that abusive marriage. You know what I'm saying? We chose not to. So, you know, you said something when you said um, how the women, because of those women, you basically like, if they can do it, I can too. Right, right. And I remember um, the last four months of my last prison, I went to this, they they called it... um, Behavior modification program, or you do your last four months in the community, but you're still like incarcerated. And I remember seeing the three counselors and they were just having a good time. And I was like, dang, one day I want to be able to be like them and come in to the prison or come around the women and let them know that they can do whatever that they can. And so now I, I can do that. When I tell people this wasn't easy, it wasn't easy because I didn't tell you, I didn't talk about the times that I didn't have no place to stay and I was homeless and I slept in an abandoned building or the time I had to sleep in my car for days or the time I worked graveyard and I didn't have a place to live. So I get off at seven in the morning, go, go spend $40, $40 at a, one of them roach motels so that basically I'm there at seven in the morning. I can have the room until the next morning. So, you know, I don't, I don't really, I do tell people about those, but they're like, wow, that doesn't make Once I had one friend tell me, I did not know you were homeless. I said, yeah, when we was in that class together, I was homeless then. And she was like, wow, I wish I'd have known that. She's like, I'd have, she's like, I really would have brought you into my home, to our home. She's like, cause you just brought so much energy to that class that we had. She's like, it just breaks my heart right now knowing that. And I was like, you know, it was so many people that I gave money to or I lend money to or I paid they rent or I did whatever when I made, when I was in the, in the streets making the money. But, it wasn't nobody that was there for me when I needed someone to be there for me. And, you know, at first all my feelings was hurt. I was upset. You know, still people right now that owe me money, you know. Mm. But what I realized later when I wrote in, 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 my, in my book is that God needed me to know that it was him. Because now when people look at me, they don't get to say, oh, if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't be Dr. Beer. If it wasn't for me, she wouldn't have did this. If I wouldn't have let her do this, it wouldn't have been that. But see, all now the glory, all the glory go to God anyway. But all the glory goes to him because he's like, I kept you. I kept you no matter what. Even though you slept in that abandoned apartment, I made sure no harm came to you. Even though you slept in the car, at the gas station, I made sure no harm, no harm came to you, you know. So when I go talk and I speak and I talk to people, I'm like, this is not easy. It was not easy. It looked easy now, but it was not easy. I went through a whole lot to get to where I'm at, where I'm at today, you know. Um, 
So yeah, when you invest in yourself, you have to do it without without looking back, without worrying about what nobody else has to say, worry about nothing. You just got to keep, like the little train that said, the little train that could, I think I can, I, I think, think I, I can. can. Right, right. You and know. It's going up the mountain yes. and I think I can. I and then, it's, then it yes. gets over and it's like, I thought <laughs> yeah, I could, yeah, I thought I, I could, could, I thought I could. Yes. That's a good feeling when you're like, I thought I could and I did, you yes. know. And seeing other people, you know, one of the things that, makes me so how can I put it everything that I think about whenever I make a goal I'm not just thinking about I want to accomplish this I'm actually thinking about a lot of other things like all the women who didn't get the opportunities that I got or men all men do you know the people all the people who didn't have the support that I got you know what I mean? And then all the people that help me that are no longer here. And when I do something good, I feel like that's my way of paying it back to those people and paying it forward to the people that come after me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, I go to the Shrine of the Black Madonna from time to time. And one of the things that they say is that we're kind of like the center of, of a line. We owe something to those in the past yes. and we owe something to those that are going to come. So we cannot just think of ourselves as just me individually. We have to think of ourselves as part of this line. You know what I mean? That, that we're, we happen to be a part of. And that was something that I've always kind of felt that way, but it, after I, after I got out of the abusive situation and then every time I hit a really low point when I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. There was always somebody that came up under me and held my arms up. It's kind of like that story in the Bible Moses. when the guy was, he Moses. couldn't put his arm, you know, and it was, it was Moses. So mm -hmm. he's like, he needed somebody to hold his arms up so they could get across the water. And it's like, that has always happened for me when I felt like I just couldn't make it somebody. And, and it's the craziest thing because sometimes your enemy, the person that's, you know, on the slide trying to do you wrong. He said he making your footstools. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> I, I was thinking about a particular person. I wrote this book and I do want you to talk about your book in a minute. I wrote this book called plenty of guppies and other dating misadventures. And, um, the book is my personal journey, my personal healing journey from 2014 to 2021. And there's a really strong character in there that was in and out of my life during that period of 2015 to 20, well, 2023 actually, but that's not covered in the book, you know, cause it only goes to 2021, um, that I really believe has a lot of narcissistic tendencies, but I will also say this, I believe God can use anybody. He can. And there were times, there were times when I needed somebody and that person was the person that came through. Now he might have done it for his own selfish reasons. But he came I can't, through. yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't be in somebody's mind, but I can say that I know there's a scripture what the enemy meant for evil, mm, God turned yeah. it to good. Amen. And 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 so even if he meant it for evil, doesn't matter because there was another plan in place, you know. And and but also everything that you see, all the books that I've written, there's a reason why I wrote all of them. You know, like with this book, my children's book, I remember my sister, my sister's 10 years younger than me, and I remember. I bought the first black children's book that my sister had, and she was a teenager. So when I was growing up, I had never seen a black, you know, multicultural kids in a picture book. I had never seen that. You know, that wasn't something that I saw until I was probably like 20 years old. I was in college the first time I saw a picture book with black and brown children. Now, maybe they existed somewhere, but I never saw. Them, right. You know. So first time I saw one, I was like, my sister's a teenager. I'm going to give her this picture because it just made me so happy, you know? And, and I know there's still a lot of 
dirt. There's a lot of scarcity of black and brown characters in a lot of different types of books. So we still need it. But but I'm just saying there's there's a reason when we're talking about investing in yourself. There's a lot of ways to invest in ourselves and invest in our community and sometimes fill in a gap mm-hmm. that hasn't been filled for right. our people mm-hmm. is an investment. You know, because our children need to see positive images of themselves. Our children, our young people, our women, our men, they need to see people that have come, you know, we started from the bottom, now we're here. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They need to see it can be done. Yes. And if we're not going to show them, then who's going to show them? Because society will tell, society will write people off. It tries to do it every day, you know, but if we come back and say, it doesn't matter that you've been in an abusive relationship. You can come out. Uh, yes. You can transition into a healthy relationship. It doesn't matter if you were sexually abused in terms of it's not your life. Your exactly. life isn't over. Of course, it matters what happens to you. But what I'm saying is your life doesn't end because of something somebody did to you. You have choices. You have opportunities. You have a whole way of thinking that you can you know, utilize. It doesn't... You know, going to prison doesn't have to be your whole life. You can have life after you get out, you know. So when you when you decided that you had invested in yourself and now it's time to use what you learned to help. What was that kind of thought process like? Like, why did you do that? Because there are some people that never look back. They don't look back. They just they keep stepping. And they they don't they want to be as far away from the past as they can. And then there are other people that are like, let me reach back and let me pull somebody forward with me or let me inspire somebody to move themselves forward. Because I felt I know what it felt like to be alone. Um, I don't know if anybody ever been with somebody and still been alone, mm. but I know what it felt like to be alone or to feel like being in that prison cell. I know what it felt like just trying to get just trying to get on track with life. I know what it felt like having to go to the parole officer and, 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 and give them a UA. I know what it just felt like. I know what it felt like trying to figure it out and don't know how to figure it out and nobody to really look at and see, say, okay, you know what? That person did it. So now I can. So I just want to be, so I don't want, I want the prisons to be empty. Mm. You know, except for be honest with stuff, some some of y'all need to be in there, but for the most part, but I want it to be, you know, empty. I don't I don't want people to keep feeling like they helpless and hopeless. It took me five times to go to prison before I said, okay, enough is enough, you know. But if I can get the one person not to do something and go to prison, or if they have done something and they've already been, and then not to be able to go, not to go back, you know. I remember I was doing a group. And the guy, the young man, he was being, he had to go there for parole and he was upset. He's like, man, I can just go do this time. I don't want to sit up in these classes. I said, well, if you don't do these classes, how much time will you have to do? He said, I'll do a violation. I'll do about a year. I can do that standing on my head. I said, I hate when people say that. I said, Mm -hmm. yeah, we can all go do it. But why would you want to? Right. Why you want to go in there? Mm-hmm. When you rather be free and come in here, listen to me for two hours, go get you whatever you want to eat, go hang out with your kids, your grandkids, your your mom, your girlfriend, go to the mall. I said, if you go back to prison for a whole year, you stagnated. You won't, you're not doing nothing. And then guess what? When you come out after that year, they're going to still make you come do this class. Mm-hmm. So you might as well just mm-hmm. do the class now. Mm-hmm. Why waste time? Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. When I was, I I taught high school for 28 years. I taught middle school for two years. So I taught in public schools in the inner city. I'm talking about my school started at 78% free and reduced lunch. It ended at 100% free and reduced lunch. Okay. So pretty much everybody in that school was at the poverty level. All right. So there's a mentality of, I'm tough enough to handle whatever this is rather than as you were saying, why are you trying to prove your toughness? Just do what is being asked of you. And, and actually, even though you may not agree with the class, there is a possibility you can learn something. There's a possibility that there's some nugget in there that could help you on your way. So, 
one of the things that used to frustrate me with children, it's like you haven't been to this class before. You haven't been to this grade before, but you somehow think you know everything. <laughs> like how it, does that work? I'm not saying that everything we learned, I'm a teacher and I will admit that everything we taught those kids, they didn't need to know. Mm -hmm. And some of the things we didn't teach them, they definitely did need to know. And we weren't allowed to teach them. But in every class, I would expect there would be something mm -hmm. useful, you know, that you could take with you. So that was one of the things I would say to them. I would be like, you know, go in with the mindset of let me find the value. I have to be here. I have to go through high school or get my GED. I have to do this. So rather than me trying to sleep, play on my phone, do all this other stuff, let me actually get something out of this and invest in myself rather than sit here and take up space and get nothing out of it. Well, sometimes we don't know how because you know? we come from a generation, generations of nothing, mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. Then guess what? I'm going to do what I see my family do. I'm going to be like I see them do. They did what they saw their family do. Mm -hmm. And some, it just becomes generational. So it takes somebody to have to break the generational curses in, in, in certain areas. You know, I have, I went to prison five times. People talked about me bad. But guess what? I have more education than, than the majority of my family. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you didn't go to prison you did this but you still stagnated mm. you still stagnated yeah and that that's that's another thing i want to say to people <sighs> some people write themselves off mm -hmm. if i haven't accomplished it by 20 by 30 by 40 by 50 then it can't be done that is a lie you know i at 43 i got divorced for the second time Okay. And at 43, I was a teacher. That was all I did. But within two years, I became a spoken word artist. Then I became, you know, a published essayist and I began to publish a lot more of my poetry. Then I began to host shows. Then I became an author, a best selling author three times. Then I became a pod. Well, the podcast actually came first. So I'm saying things out of order. I became a podcaster. This podcast is top 10% globally. I have subscribers in 53 cities and 35 countries. Um, all of that happened after 43. If I had wrote myself off at 43, none of these books you see here, none of this merch you see, you wouldn't be looking at this podcast right now. If I had said, oh, I'm 43, I can't do nothing else except go to work and come home and pay bills. And, and maybe raise my grandkids. That's all I can hope for. Not to say that all those things aren't important, but we can have higher expectations for ourselves. And if, you, if you're out there and you're saying I'm 29, 35, 45, 55, and I can't because of my age, you need to stop that. Right now. It takes an investment in yourself. It takes work. It takes goals and following through. It takes some things, but it can be done. And there's a whole lot of people. I think Grandma Moses, I think she painted her first painting in like 80. There was a woman in Wakanda, a black actress, and she had her first role in her 70s. Yes. You know, I mean, there's people running marathons and they're 90 years old. You know what I mean? Setting Olympic records and all this kind of so. Um, or for their age group, you know, they have different kinds of Olympics, you know, so I'm not talking about this. Right. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is this episode is really about investing in yourself and realizing that no matter where you come from in terms of your past, your family, your mindset, things that happen to you, it doesn't determine your future. Your future is determined by the choices you make from this point out, the choices that you make that you follow through on. And if you choose different things than you choose chose in the past and follow through, you could be in a totally different place. And it doesn't take forever. It doesn't take, 
How many years did it take you to get your doctorate? That took forever. No, but it, it didn't take 25 years. Some I people started, act like it. I started it's, school, yeah. well, because you got, well, I started school the spring of 2007 mm-hmm. with my AA degree. And I finished with my doctorate of August of last year. Mm-hmm. So we're missing one year out of that. So, That's you know, a long time. it is a long time, <laughs> but the point is, you still look young, you still look good. Thank you know you. what I mean? So <laughs> the people that are saying, hey, you know, it's going to be too long. The time is going to pass anyway. Anyway. So you can either use the time or lose the time and have nothing to show for it, you know. And I think it is so fulfilling and you can you can tell me if it's true for you. When I look at this room and I see all of these books, I see this, but this isn't even all the merch I got. All right. I got a whole store. I could have a whole store if I wanted to, but I look around and I see all of this came out of my brain and I created everything that you see. Those designs, these books, you know, those designs up here on the wall, the people who are listening on the podcast, I'm like, what is she pointing at? <laughs> um, I have four books on Amazon. You can go look at, up Zenashe's books and you can find it. I have two websites. If you go to my link tree, you can go and look at all the merch in my, in my store. So people who are going to listen to this who aren't visually watching it. But the point is, I am not some anomaly Anyone can make a choice and follow through on that choice and end up with a book or a doctorate or a different job or, or a both. different career or oh, yeah, all those things. <laughs> so I did want to talk about your book. What is the name of your book and, and what is your book about? So my first book is um, Accepting an Apology That You May Never Receive. Mm. And it's a book, it's a workbook. And basically that book came out of something that happened in my childhood by me being um, sexually abused by my uncle. And I remember some years, a few years back I was in church and he walked into church and I was like, why is this man in this church? And I, mm. I got a, I, and it was the, the day that I asked my supervisor to come to church with me. Mm. So that was like, this is not a good day. Cause she about mm. to see me probably <laughs> act a fool mm-hmm. but I was like you know let me just leave so I got up and I walked outside and I was I couldn't even talk I was minister I was calling for one of the ministers ladies wives to come out and I said I need to go can you just get my grandkids and my supervisor and tell her let's go and she kept saying why I said I have to go because God ain't finished ain't finished working with me yet and I'm not this strong I have to go and they kept saying you're real strong I said no I'm not y'all putting too much pressure on me to ask me to go back in that church so the first lady came out and then um, the pastor came. He's like, what's wrong, daughter? We went in his office. And I said, I can't stay because, you know, my uncle's in there. And I feel some kind of way, not only because he abused me, but I just feel like, how dare you even be standing in front of God when you know you're a pedophile? It just was making me sick all the way around. So he said, well, daughter, what do you want? And I'm like, I said, I want to go in there and beat him up. That's what I want. And he was like, no, what do you want? Because... You want an apology? He said, because that's something you're probably never going to get. And I didn't think about it then. It wasn't until later on when I was at home and I was replaying the day and that resonated in my mind. Like, you're going to, you wait for something that's not going to, not going to happen. And then like a year later, I'm talking to um, Courtney, um, Monica's husband, um, about doing editing for my dissertation and while I was talking to him that came up again and I said I'm gonna write a book except an apology you may never receive Mm -hmm. so that's what I did and what I did with the book was I talked about um the first chapter is God my God and the, the the things that the things how God is he um keeps us out of danger sometimes and we don't even know we in danger but till later on whatever so then i talk about god and then the the second the second chapter is prayer because you have to do a lot of prayer then the third chapter is um forgiving yourself mm. because we have to forgive ourselves for certain things a lot of things that we have done to ourselves or certain situations and then i talk about forgiving others then i go into talking about you know your parents because when i was writing the book i asked people who's the number one person you would want to apology from and a lot of people said 
my parents. Mm. I want my parents to apologize for some things they did. So mm. I talked about parents and I did. I went and I talked about relationships and mm. I talked about jobs and I talked about friends and um, I talked about the time I contemplated suicide, you know, talk about all these things that were bottled up <laughs> inside of me that, you know, was keeping me not only when I was in prison physically, but mentally as well. Um, so the book, that book came about because of, you're right, because I talk about in there when I called my uncle. And my uncle didn't apologize. He tried to blame a nine-year-old girl for what, what he did. And I talk about my ex and how I called him and told him about how I felt about our marriage and whatnot. And nobody, not one time, did they apologize and say, you know what? I, back then or whatever I was I apologized And I was like so my book is like true People, What are you going to do when you don't get that apology From people that has done you wrong Or that you felt like done you wrong And you you ain't sleeping at night They sleeping at night Or in some cases some people is dead and gone mm -hmm. And you still holding on to the fact that they ain't never apologized But here's my thing If they did apologize mm -hmm. What is that going to change Yeah, It's not going to change what they did right. It's not going to change what they said. Mm -hmm. So what? What? What's really the? And if they apologize eight out of ten times, they would. They not really remorseful about what they did or said. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you do have some people that are. I'm not saying that right. you don't. But a lot of times, people are like let me just say I'm sorry, so I can just move on. Mm -hmm. And they they don't really mean it. So, but at the end of the day, it's how you still gonna deal with what it you know with the situation. And then at the end of every chapter. I always say at the end of the chapter, I say if you don't, if you have a problem with this chapter, revert back to chapters one and two, which is the higher power and prayer. Mm. So that's my first book, and then the second book is um, it's just a journal, a get to know yourself journal. Because when we're in relationships, when we're in prison, when we're doing whatever we're doing, a lot of times we lose ourselves. Mm. So the second book is give yourself time. So to give yourself time journal is just things prompted to you to get to know yourself again know who the real person is so that's why that wants to give yourself time journal and like i never thought i would be an author but you know here i am there's a lot of things i never thought i would do that you and yeah. me both. <laughs> I was very much an introvert. So that whole idea that I'm actually in front of the camera doing a podcast is like mind blowing to me sometimes. D hosting, performing, like all of this stuff is like, what? What? Um, it's just, wow. You just don't know what's inside you sometimes. You don't. Now, I wanted to say a couple of things about what you said. We we're talking about investing in yourself. And sometimes many of us need to invest in our healing. We do. And that could be therapy, that could be support groups, that could be journaling, meditation, prayer, um, that could be getting out of nature, that could be getting a nutritionist, that could be going to the gym, you know, it could be all kind of self-care things. But also for some of us, we need to be writing some books, you know, we need to be doing some workshops, we need to be creating some courses, you know, so that could be investing in your own healing as well as helping other people heal. And also, <clears throat> I think that we also have to invest in listening to our intuition. What? Say that again. Repeat that again so the people. Yeah, can invest hear. <laughs> in, in listening to our intuition because you mentioned losing yourself. You know, especially women, but even men too. A lot of us are trained to not have boundaries to not know ourselves, to not value ourselves, to value everybody else, put everybody else before us. We're yes. actually trained, some of us, to be codependent, to basically feel like I'm only good if I'm taking care of everybody. I value from everybody else. I have no value of my own. And that's that's codependency. When you have no worth unless somebody else validates you, when things mm -hmm. for other people. So, it ties into investing in making our own boundaries, invest in hearing our own voice. You know, so um, I want to kind of wrap up today. And is there anything you want to say to the people, like any kind of last word or last tip as we kind of wrap up this podcast? Everything does nothing happen unless you take that first step. Very true. Very true. Very true. <laughs> 
Well, I want to thank you guys for joining me. I also want to mention, if you did not know, uh, Plenty of Guppies and Other Dating Misadventures has been on the bestsellers list in poetry for 18 months now. Um, you can get all my books on Amazon. I am looking for podcast sponsors. So if anybody wants to, you know, sponsor the podcast and get, you know, shout outs for your business, shout outs to flyers on my social media, please, you know, reach out to me through uh, my link tree. And uh, my email or my phone number, you know, all that stuff is on the link tree. Um, and we can talk about that. I do have it on my website also where you can sign up for sponsorships. And also, I do have the first 11 chapters of my memoir, Plenty of Guppies and Other Dating Misadventures on the podcast. So 11 chapters of audio. So you could actually listen to those first 11 chapters for free on this energy podcast. And I would love it if you guys would like, share, review, you know, the podcast, the books, you know, so I can, you know, get more feedback and also get more listeners, get more viewers. So, you know, if you like what you heard today, please like, share, subscribe, review, and thank you so much for joining us. May you walk in Zenergy. Have a great night. Zenoshea, newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children.